This is the word of the Lord. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and the putting on of your gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And we all say together, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word has been preserved for us through the ages and that we can be here today, read it, meditate on it, and we need your help to understand it and apply it. So Holy Spirit of God, reveal your truth to us today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today is family time. When, uh, when I was a father, well, I guess I'm still a father, but uh, when children were at home, every once in a while we would call a family meeting to talk about some very important topics or to deal with some issues. Today, my friends, we have to deal with some issues. So I am calling a family meeting so we can look at the Word of God together and deal with these issues. So we have been studying the uh, letter of Peter. Am I doing that? Is that better now? It's... Uh, yeah, maybe next time I'll shave before I come in the morning. Maybe it'll, it'll help things out. All right, I think we're good now. All right, so today in 1 Peter chapter 3, we are going to talk about uh, the roles and functions in the home. So Peter is giving us uh, how to live as God's people in a hostile world. How we live in the kingdom of God in the world today. So uh, he first reminds us what God has done through Jesus, what he has done for us. So we see it here in 1 Peter uh, 1, chapters 3 and 4. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiling, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And we all say, hallelujah. Yeah, all right. Thank you. We got one hallelujah. The rest of you say amen if you're uncomfortable with hallelujah. Just say amen, okay? All right. And then we see again in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, what he, what he has also done for us. He says, now you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And again we say, hallelujah. All right. That's what God has done for us. That's, that's our identity. That's the basis for all that we are going to go and understand from Peter. So then when we get to chapter 1, verse 13... He starts out with therefore. We are here for the therefores, okay? This is the therefores. Here they come. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Be holy as God is holy. Therefore, love one another earnestly. Therefore, put away all malice, deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. Therefore, you are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. And therefore, you are urged, we are urged to abstain from passions of the flesh. This is how we live in the kingdom of God. All right, help me out. Blessings on you, my child. Thank you very much. All right, are we good now? All right. So those are all the there. That's how we live, okay? Based on what God has done for us through Jesus, that's how we live in this confused world. And now he comes to this next part, which is the difficult part of submission. Uh, I did, did I say conduct yourselves honorably before the world? Okay. Now, be subject. Be subject. This is an important part again. How do we submit as God's people in the world in which we live? First, we submit to every human institution. We also submit to those who have authority over our lives at our workplace. Or if you're slaves, to your masters. And then he says, in the same context of submission, likewise wives, likewise husbands. And that's where we're going today. We're going to talk about the likewise wives and the likewise husbands. So what he is really describing here 
is order in the home. That's why we titled this Roles, Functions in the Home. This is order in the home. Has nothing to do with worth or value, but is describing functions, roles in an orderly home, the order that God has designed for the home. He's talking about foundational principles designed by God so that the home and consequently the church can be light in a dark world. Okay, so these are foundational principles in the kingdom of God. Six and seven-year-olds, anybody identify? Can anybody tell me what this is? The what? Leaning Tower of Pizza? Pizza. That's really the pizza. Pizza. It's an interesting story, this tower. It was begun in the 12th century, 1173 exactly. They decided to build this tower. It was going to be eight stories high. But because of water, they could only put the foundation down 10 feet, not near enough for a structure of eight stories. So what happened? Because of it, it began leaning. And over the next 800 years and $27 million, they tried to get this thing straightened out. And here is what it ended up with. So my friends, the point is this. The foundation is extremely important. We heard this from Daniel two weeks ago. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church and of our lives. And if we don't get the foundation right, we will spend our whole lives trying to correct what we started out wrong with. The Bible is the Word of God. Jesus is the most powerful name in all the universe. Those are truths. Those are foundational truths. And here Peter is trying to give us some information on how to have a strong foundation for our marriage. Now, the first one is a little difficult to talk about. And please understand me when I say that I'm trying to speak the truth in love. But I, as you know from the last time I spoke, I get a little excited when I'm up here. So if I come across as mad, I'm not mad, I'm just excited, okay? You parents can use that with your children as you may need to. I'm not mad, I'm just excited about truth. But prob- here's, here's, here's a truth that we find in the Word of God. And the truth is this, from the very beginning, God designed marriage to last for a lifetime. Now, I don't know where you're at. I don't know all of your circumstances. And I am not here to try to correct past mistakes or what happened in your past. I'm here to talk to us about this day forward, who we, the people of God, how we should live and how we should act in this world. 
And one of, the act, one of the things that we need to be convinced of today is that in the kingdom of God, divorce is not an option except in some of those very extreme cases that the Bible outlines. I don't have time to go into those today, but if you want to have a conversation with me about that, let me know and we'll have coffee together. But the foundational principle that I want us to understand, Jesus outlines it here. God actually gave it in the very beginning when he created man and woman. But Jesus spoke about it here in Matthew chapter 19. And uh, here, up here we have verse 6. But let me, let me give you the whole context here in Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Because some Pharisees came to Jesus and their question was this. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? And here's the answer Jesus gave them. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, no man should separate. Do you hear that? And then when we come to Malachi 2.16, God says this very clearly, I hate divorce. I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts, so take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Now the ESV and the, and the more recent NIV, for whatever reason, left that phrase out, I hate divorce, says the Lord God Almighty. So I went back to the Hebrew, and I looked, is the word hate there? It is. Is God saying he hates divorce? It is. God hates divorce. What God has joined together, let no man separate. This is a foundational truth that we need to put into the lives of our hearts as the people of God today. So here's what's happening. It looks like maybe we're getting better. Because a few years ago, 50% of all marriages ended in divorce here in America. So I checked to see if those statistics were still true. And it looks like we're getting better because today it's down to 40% of all marriages end in divorce. But there's some extenuating circumstances that are happening. For example, uh, young people today who have grown up in a, in a broken home, a separated home, are fearful of marriage. So many young people today are living together instead of getting married. So, of course, when they separate, it doesn't show a divorce in the statistics. But here's the most important statistic for you and I. It, because those people who claim to be Christians, who are Christians, 
who attend church three out of four Sundays of every month. I don't know what they do on the fourth Sunday, but they are in church three out of four Sundays every month. And the statistic there is down to 25 to 30% of those marriages end in divorce. And we say, that's good. And I'm saying, no, that's bad. When one-fourth or one-third of all marriages in the church end in divorce today, we got a problem, folks. And God is not honored. Again, I understand there are some extenuating circumstances where maybe divorce for the sake of life or sake of, you know, of adultery, whatever is going on, divorce may be the only solution. But my friends, 25 to 30% people are not in those extenuating circumstances. There is a plague in the church today, and it is called divorce. And we need to have the conviction in our hearts that as a person of God, as a person who lives in the world today, as a follower of Jesus Christ, divorce is not an option. We need to get to the point where we remove divorce from our emotional vocabulary because this is God's plan. This is God's design. When we have that foundational principle in our hearts, we work at, the, at our marriages. People who have good marriages, and I say this be, for Neji and I, is not because we are such good and holy people. It's because Jesus has transformed our hearts. Jesus transforms our lives, and Jesus transforms our relationships. That's a very important foundational principle. Now, the next one we come to is the likewises. And I have asked Neji to come and share about the likewise of the wives. Neji and I have been married a little over 30 years, and so um, we have a good marriage. Again, not because we're so good, is because of God's grace and God's presence in our lives. So Neji's going to share with the wives about the wives, and then I'm going to come back in a few minutes and share about the husbands. I don't think I have prayed as much before like I prayed this past week to, you know, submit myself to the Lord and to my husband who asked for me to share and to the Word of God. So I come here with fear and trembling, as you can imagine. First of all, like Bruce said, biblical submission is not a matter of inferiority or superiority. It's a matter of order. God is the one who is bringing order to this chaotic society, this messed up society that we live in. That's what Jesus came for, to redeem us, to rescue us, to transform us, to make things new. And as Christians, we want to conform not to the patterns of this world, but to the patterns of the Word. So we want to hear God's Word and understand it, 
so we can obey it and walk with the Lord. I know from experience that to submit to someone who is smart and thinks like me and agrees with me, it's fairly easy. But when it comes to submitting to someone who thinks differently or disagrees with me, that's the tough part. And that happens, right? With our governmental authorities, sometimes with my own husband or a boss or a pastor. So on chapter three, Peter is bringing it home because the home is the base of society. If the marriage relationship, the marriage relationship reflects God's relationship with his church. So if this relationship is healthy and good, then all other relationships will fall into place. So let's read verses one and two. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may, may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So when he says, even if, he's saying that some husbands obey the word and some husbands don't obey the word. No matter what the situation is, we need to subject our lives to those husbands. He is specifically targeting the wives of non-believers, but the command is for all the wives. Because remember, even though we are saved by grace through faith, we all struggle with sin daily. And some husbands, like wives, will struggle to obey the word of God from time to time. So women in that culture, when Peter wrote, was totally not seen or heard. A wife was to her husband what cattle was to its owner. Husbands simply owned another property, their wives. She was supposed to have the same faith as her husband's. So when a woman became a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and her husband didn't, in that culture, she had a bigger problem. Because now she has another Lord who is not her own husband, but her husband will still expect that she follows his lead. Peter is being very practical when he says that the unbelieving husband might be one without a word when they see the conduct of their wives, when they see the respectful and pure conduct. The Greek word for respectful is phobos, which is the same word used for fear. In, in chapter 2.17, Peter says, fear God. That's for everyone, men and women. And we also know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10. So a woman who fears the Lord acts differently. When a husband sees the conduct of a wife who fears the Lord, he may be impacted and may want to know this new person in his wife's life. She doesn't need to be nagging him with the word of God. Although it is not saying that she can't absolutely say anything. But her actions will speak louder. What about this adorning? Let's read verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of, a go of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. 
but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Is he saying we should not be adorning ourselves at all? Is he telling us not to wear jewelry or take care of our hair? I can see how a wife of an unbelieving husband might think that if she looks nice, maybe her husband will take her seriously and will stop and listen to her message. As a woman, I know how tempting it is to be constantly thinking of buying new clothes, new shoes, you know, doing my hair, my eyebrows, my nails. And the culture is telling us that we need to be pretty and attractive to keep our husbands because the competition is great. Peter is not telling us to absolutely not take care of ourselves, of our hair, of jewelry. We need to buy clothes. We need to do those things in moderation and modesty. Actually, we need to buy clothes that covers it all, ladies. But what he is saying is that in order to win the unbelieving husband, the focus should be on the hidden person of the heart. It is our inner being that we should spend more time and more energy on. You see, the word, um, the world does, and our culture does, is appealing to the eyes, to what we see. It manipulates wishes and desires. But in God's kingdom, the way we win a husband for the Lord, or if your husband is already a believer, the way we please the Lord in our marriages is by developing a gentle and quiet spirit. That is precious in God's sight. The gentle and quiet spirit are imperishable. They last a lot longer, even when we grow older and we don't look like we used to anymore. Proverbs 3130, I'm going to read it on the message. We all know this. Chime, uh, charm can mislead and beauty soon fades. The woman to be admired and praised is the woman who lives in the fear of God. So more than pleasing our, our husbands with our external beauty, we should be worried about pleasing the Lord with our internal beauty. And really, our husbands and children and society in general they will see the beauty come through in our words and actions. So again, I ask, how can we women develop this gentle and quiet spirit? Is this a personality trait where all women look alike? I don't believe so because God created us all different. For example, I don't have a problem very much being quiet, but my problem is being gentle. I can be quiet on the outside, and on the inside, I am screaming, not good words. Maybe your problem is the opposite. So God created us different, but we should develop this gentle and quiet spirit, learning from the Lord. Let's read verses 5 and 6. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on yeah, for this is how the holy women, thank you, Mamu. for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. 
And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So Peter is making an argument when he says, for this is how the holy women, the set-apart women, the women who hoped in God did. Instead of focusing on the external, they focused on the internal. They adorned themselves by submitting to their own husbands. He uses Sarah as an example and calls us her daughters because we are in this covenant relationship with God. So we, through faith, we belong to Sarah's lineage. And an interesting fact here, I was trying to understand this. You know, Sarah calls him Lord, Abraham. There's only one place in the Bible, in Genesis 18, 9 through 12, you can check this out later, where Sarah is responding to the three men who show up and says that they say that she's going to have a child at this time next year. Sarah is not talking to Abraham, but she was making reference about Abraham. She said, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord here is a small L. Much like the word sir in English or in Portuguese is senhor. Spanish must be similar. It's a cultural word. It's a word that we use for respect. So no, ladies, we don't have to call our husbands lords <laughs> with a small l from now on. But we should refer to our husbands in a respectful way within our culture. So in these verses, it's underlined because there's a correlation between hope and holiness and fearlessness and doing good and submission. So when I say I hope in God, I put my hope in God, that means I belong first and foremost to God. Means I'm set apart to God, not to my husband. My hope is in God, not in my husband. I will fear the Lord and not be afraid of my husband. I will respect my husband and if by chance my husband tells me to do something that goes against the Lord, I will, strong, I will be strong to say, sorry, amor, can do. Let me say this again. My hope is in God. I fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord will produce a trust in the Lord, and I will have a gentle and quiet spirit. And I will not fear the other frightening things. I will not be filled with anxieties. I will not be intimidated by my husband, and I will not intimidate him either. All that might win my unbelieving husband to the Lord, and will bring peace and harmony to my marriage with my believing husband. John Piper defines submission Submission is the divine calling of a wife to joyfully and fearlessly honor and affirm her husband's leadership and to help carry it through according to her gifts. Um, I'll take a couple minutes just to share with you my own experience in learning submission. Like he said, we've been married more than 30 years. In our wedding day, my vow, in my vows, I said, I will submit to you as a husband. Then later on, 
We were married and our kids were like six or eight years old. We lived in Wisconsin. Um, we met a couple who came from Brazil. They wanted to be pastors in the Boston area and they needed a sponsor church. So they came to us so we could get to know them and sponsor them if possible. So they came, they were a great couple. Um, they knew how to make disciples. They had children and we started getting to know them. It got to a point where I finally said, because I recognized in them their relationship with God, I said, will you please let us know if there's anything in our lives as a married couple that needs correction or needs adjustment, speak into our lives. And they did. We got to a point we went um, camping one day and they called us to talk. And they had an issue to deal with Bruce and one issue to deal with me. I'll share mine issue today. <laughs> mine was, they said, Neiji, you're not being a submissive wife. The way you talk to your husband, the way you want to correct him in front of everybody, you know, and then things were coming, were coming, were coming, and God was confronting me. It wasn't easy. I cried, but I recognized, yes, <clears throat> in me there was an attitude of, I need to teach Bruce some things. He's going to learn with, from me some things, like how to pastor, how to make correction, how to correct the kids, how to discipline the kids, and so on and so forth. So it, it was an attitude that God wanted to correct in me. From then on, I started to breaking and really making some changes, change of heart. So ladies, if you are here today and you don't have a person in your life, you know, this is called discipleship. We need to open our lives to someone who speaks the truth in love and will help us walk in the Lord and please the Lord. Likewise, husbands. All right. Did you women get straightened out yet? Let's work on the guys. Amen, yes. So let's go to uh, verse 7, where he says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are joint heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So for us guys, there are three areas we need to work on. And okay, here they are. First of all, live with your wife with understanding. The word there is really uh, the word that means with knowledge. It really means get to know your wife. And that is uh, a real challenge. Because in Genesis 1.27, it says, uh, God, when he created the world, it says, male and female, he made them. Okay? And we're different. I mean, you already figured that out if you're married. Men and women are different. They think different. Their emotions are different. 
So when the Bible says men get to know your wives, we understand that that is a challenging process. The, the thing I think that's important here is that uh, communication is the key. So as men, we need to make sure we take time to communicate with our wife. You need to schedule time to communicate with your wife. Get to know your wife. Or as Jesus' example to us, Jesus incarnated himself into our world so that he could be our savior. So he could understand our needs and what we're going through. So men, you need to incarnate yourself into your wife's world so that you can understand. Now I'm going to say something here, and if I offend anybody, please forgive me, but I'm going to say it. To, in, in order to understand my wife, I do not need to get in touch with my feminine side. I have no feminine side. God did not give me a feminine side. I'm a man. And you are a woman. And God made us that way. Now, what I do need to do, though, I do need to get in touch with her feminine side so that I can understand her and I can live with her and we can live in harmony. Now, guys, this is not easy. I confess. After Anija and I have been married about 15 or 20 years, I don't even know if she remembers this, but we were having a discussion one day. We do not have fights in our marriage. We have discussions. Some of them are more intense than others. And we were having an intense discussion one day. And she said, after all this time, you still do not know me. And I said... You're right. 15 or 20. Do you know why God says that marriage is for a lifetime? It takes that long for us guys to get to know our wives. And if you're going into one marriage and then to another marriage, you'll never get there. I'm just saying. We need to work at it. We need to spend time. We need to understand it. So, here's the secret. Guys, if you want to love your wife like Jesus loves the church, as Paul said, then you need to spend a lot of time with Jesus. He teaches us how to love. He teaches us how to forgive. He teaches us how to be patient. So, men, our greatest challenge is to spend time with Jesus so that we can be the husbands that he wants us to be to our wives. And then secondly, it says up here, give her the honor that God gives her as his child. And literally what that section says is bestowing Preciousness 
on your wife as a joint heir in the kingdom of God. Men, we need to learn how to fill our wives' emotional bank on a regular basis so that the day we need to make a withdrawal, there is plenty of love there and she can share it back. But if we're constantly pulling out, pulling out, pulling out, and not putting in, she runs dry and there's nothing more to give. So when he talks about the weaker vessel here, I really believe he's talking about physical strength because we're both vessels. And as Paul says in Romans, God can make out of one clay pot this way, one for common use, one for noble use. God made the vessel. And Peter says, physically, the woman is a weaker vessel. But that does not, and that means that we need to constantly fill that vessel with preciousness. And then I know our time is running away here. So let's look at the last one. Develop the habit of praying together and blessing each other before God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus ties forgiveness and prayer together. Peter says that the effectiveness of our prayers depend on our relationship with our spouse. And I want to give you another foundational block. And men, you need to be the spiritual leaders in your home. God made us leaders in our home. You need to be the spiritual leader in your home. You need to grab your wife by the hand, not by the hair, by the hand and say, we need to pray together. Make that commitment right now because God will bring you together in a very unique way through prayer. Men, do not let busyness keep you from this. Be the spiritual leader in your home. Say, honey, we need to pray together and make it happen. So one last thing that I want to say to you is take advantage of the body of Christ of which you are a part Focus on the Family wrote an article in an article from Focus on the Family. Listen to this. Churchgoers whose marriages are in trouble very often fly under the radar right up until they get divorced. Clearly, there is still a culture of silence surrounding troubled marriages in the church. As part of God's people in the kingdom of God, we need to understand the importance of community, of the body of Christ. And we need to find help before it gets too complicated. Don't wait until your marriage is really in serious trouble before you find somebody that you can share your struggle with that can pray over you and help you work through it. It can be done. And we just sang this morning the powerful name of Jesus. 
and Jesus' name is powerful to restore marriages. Jesus' name is powerful to break down the barriers and to bring couples into intimacy so that they can glorify God. Be willing to do that. And don't wait until it's so serious that you run to the pastor. The pastors have enough to do. We can help each other as the body of Christ have strong and storm-proof marriages. So let me say this from experience. I was married the first time 27 years, and now we have 30 years. So that's 57 years of marriage. And the statement is this. There are no storm-free marriages. But my friend, through Jesus and following his principles and his foundations, you can have a storm-proof marriage. That's a big difference. Let me just read in closing what he says here in verse, verses 8 and 9. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Husbands, thank God for your spouse and bless her. Wives, thank God for your spouse and bless him and you will be blessed. As we get ready to partake of communion, why don't you come up here and bring the cups. I'm going to encourage you to get together as a couple this morning. If you're married, just as a couple come before God. If you're a, a single person, a youth, a child, um, you can be there with mom and dad too and, and pray for your mom and dad or pray for somebody in your family. But use this time to commune with God first. I'm going to pray a blessing over the, the communion, the bread and the, and the juice. And then I want you to pray over your marriage and I will close praying over our marriages. As God's people, this statistic that 25 to 30% of marriages in the church end in divorce has got to stop. I want you to join me in going against it and saying this is not right. And say to God right here today, I will do everything in my power so that my marriage will be strong and blessed by God. A healthy home leads to a healthy church.
and a healthy church leads to a healthy society. God made it. God designed it. God knows what he's doing. We just need to know how to surrender to him. So will you stand with me? Join hands with your spouse. Children, if you're there, you can grab mom and dad's hand too. Or if you're single, grab somebody's hand. And uh, let's pray.